0: Merry Christmas, or whatever it is you're into, and welcome to Under the Skin. We are going to be listening to Kai Hindi Andrews, the Professor of Black Studies, the founder of the Black Unity Global Movement, and a guest that we've had on before, and a nice bloke, as a matter of fact. That'll be coming up in a minute. Have you watched Rebirth on Netflix yet? Go and watch it. My mates say, it's good. Candice uh, was on last week, Candice Owens. There's some, been some controversy about it. Some people say don't give a platform to people you don't agree with. And, you know, that is an argument. But I don't know. I'm still, I think it's good for us to talk. But we'll we'll, we'll keep thinking about it. Barry Altman says on, uh, was this on Twitter? Oh no, was this on YouTube, Jen? Barry Altman goes, this is the most badass interview stroke debate of 2018. Love it. I thought it was good. I mean, if you didn't agree with it, you'll certainly like this one with Kahindi Andrews because he's very anti-Candice Owens. He's said some things that I simply can't repeat because I wouldn't. Uh, Sarah Robertson says, like, I'm halfway through the episode of At Rusty Rockets under the skin podcast with America. It's on Twitter with American populist support of Real Candice Owens, A Really good listen Two people not agreeing at all. An insight and food for thought on how others think. And then she said a little bit later, the same person, Sarah Robertson, I must say she's wrong about recovery from anorexia. I'm pretty sure I'd be dead by now if it wasn't for the government bailing me out of a program for anorexics on the NHS. So there you go. McCusker says on Insta, it was a great show or battle, I should say. Alexa English, this was wild to listen to while making my dinner, lol. Lindsay, this was so interesting for me to listen to. It helped me understand so many questions that I had about why people vote for Trump. Some things I agreed with, some I did not, but my understanding grew phenomenally. Richard Egg 81 says, I found the sexual tension a tad distracting. You found it distracting, Richard Egg 81. Imagine how we felt in here in the chamber. Bromblewood, this is is the most I've allowed a right a ring-wing, it says here, but that might be Jenny May who works here at Under the Skins, one of her many errors. It's the most I've allowed a ring-wing person. She might mean right-wing, but she said ring-wing. It's the most I've allowed a ring-wing person's view into my echo chamber in a long time. You handled it really well. It was interesting to hear that right-wing people think that all Hollywood lefties are doing it out of guilt. Doing it out of guilt. Right, follow us on all of our social media platforms. You can, uh, if you want, just tag me in an Instagram story. Just tag me in it. It's your Instagram story. Tag me in it. Or uh, you can uh, follow me on Twitter. You can do what you like. I've got a new book coming out, Mentors. You can pre-order that. Go to my website or look on my social media feeds to get this book, Mentors. Bloody good stuff. Some people are saying, well, just the people, the publishers at the moment. It's not out yet. And my wife likes the bits I've read out. Um... Now, let's get into Kai Hindi Andrews, who's a sociologist, professor of black studies and a writer of the book Back to Black. And I would say a very innovative and interesting thinker who invites us to look beyond our preconceived notions of how societies must be structured right down to the level of nationhood. Uh, You'll enjoy that and I'll see you on the other side. Cheers for listening. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not a no, successful that, route. Yes, that's,
1: that's, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology.
0: What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? And welcome to Russell Brand. Under the Skin. Thanks for coming on Under the Skin, Kahindi Andrews. We've chatted before uh since then you've had a book out back to black and hmm, i I wonder like in the last well last 18 months maybe a lot of things have changed i don't know if it's been a particularly instructive or important period in um hmm, what do we want to call it i mean I suppose where where I'm interested in talking to you it's it's Jermaine that we're talking uh, the week after I met with Candice Owens who I was sort of bowled over by (laughs) on (laughs) a personal level and as I said at the time while speaking with her disagree with totally on many many levels but uh, in a sense I wonder if my qualification to disagree with her is sufficient. You listened to um, my conversation with Candice Owens uh, a, a, a proponent of black conservatism in particular but conservatism more generally what what do you think about uh Candice Evans and her position
1: um it was interesting to hear the position laid out so forcefully but also just as he had much nonsense I've never heard two hours of so much just half truths and then real conclusions that don't make any sense based on the truth so for instance I think this is why someone like this I'd say dangerous really? because Yeah, because you kinda have some legitimate beefs, right? So for example, I don't like the government. Government's a problem, government's not helpful, right? Mm. Um, I also believe in self-help. We should we should organize for ourselves, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I also think the Democrats and here in the Labour Party haven't really done much for black people. But mm. how you get from that to let's support essentially neoconservatives, Trump, who's clearly racist, um, Capitalists. I mean, how how'd you get from that perspective that we had basically agree on to the complete opposite conclusion, that it's all about the individual, that it's all about conservative values, that it's all about Trump and whiteness? I, that, that, for me, is dangerous because he's picking up on legitimate gripes that people have and taking them just the completely wrong way,
0: I think. And I feel like Candice was a, a huge influence on Kanye West's recent political stance and, you know... uh well-publicized meeting with Donald Trump. So she's an influential character. I mean, my assumption is that the her pers- her perspective is gleaned from her personal experience. I mean, that's how she it is anecdotal. When you speak to Owens. I mean, she says like, "Well, you know, like I come from this. My grandparents come from uh, a deprivation, and we have individually overcome. So, like, it's like that's how I suppose it's a." That's, that's, I suppose, actually reaches those like, conclusions. Do, yeah, but, but do you feel that's dangerous?
1: Well, yeah, because, and also, like you said, you know, we have these platforms now, which is very well known. Um, someone like Kanye West, who, you know, people look up to, rightly or wrongly, mostly wrongly, if I'm honest. But, you know, that's a huge platform. And when you put these ideas out there, make America great. Trump's the best president. For, I mean, we, last time we had this conversation, I said Donald Trump's a better president for black people than Barack Obama. Just stand by that? Yeah, I stand by that, but I don't think he's a good president for black people. Like, <laughs> come on. I mean, if you actually look at his policies, he's appalling.
0: Yeah, so, your point was that Barack <laughs> Obama was, there was a kind of a veil in place yeah, exactly, because right. of ethnicity. The
1: president, the presidency is against black people, whether you've got Barack Obama or Donald Trump. That Again, you can take this kind of critique of Obama, that doesn't mean you end up Supporting Trump, and I think this is the poverty of political philosophy that the right, and particularly black leftists, have. It's we want to critique things, but we can't see past the political system. So the left has failed us. We have to go for the right. Well, actually, no. There's other answers, right? You don't jump into bed with the devil just because God has failed you, right? I mean, there's there's other ways to go about things, and I think that's what's missing totally from this debate.
0: Well, perhaps it's because when you're challenging the framework of political discourse it often requires new vocabulary it requires a, a kind of legitimate uh critique of the ideas that the mainstream thought is comprised of and like from in your book back to black you talk about like you know black nationalism in the ain't the answer nation of islam black marxism so like uh, like and um Pan-Africanism, culturalism, you like a lot of things you talk about as being like one by one, you reject different forms of black radicalism, even saying, I think that Martin Luther King was like a, a gender to be accepted within a civic society that essentially despises or, or isn't beneficial to black people was uh, like the, the wrong approach. Can you talk us through why there is such a need for a new approach to black politics?
1: Well, I think this is important, again, just to come back briefly to Candice Owens, is that we've kind of stopped doing the hard work intellectually. Like, studying just to be part of organisations. Like, you couldn't be part of the Black Panther Party, for example, or part of the Harambee organisation in the UK, unless you were reading, unless you were discussing things, unless you were having proper meaningful conversations about the politics. That's been replaced with people like Candice Owens, who just, you know... Look at a couple of things on YouTube, read a book, a bit of a book by Milton Friedman, and want to come up and say they've got a political philosophy. And this is what's lacking, right? So when we're looking at what are we trying to go forward, you have to do this work, which is what the book's really about to say, well actually let's try to properly understand what the history of black political thought is, because to be honest, we <laughs> completely and utterly misunderstand it. Um, so, for example, to come to the Martin Luther King point, Uh, I'm a big Malcolm X fan, I always talk about Malcolm X, and one of the ways in which Malcolm X is misremembered is that he's a civil rights, um, civil rights figure, which is nonsense. I mean, Malcolm was the biggest critic of the civil rights movement you would ever hear in your entire life, Uh, called Martin Luther King an Uncle Tom, which is probably the worst thing you can call uh, a black person. Um, Considering him and King, so Martin Luther King and Malcolm, same similar age, similar time, Doing similarish things, you'd think they would have had met at least a few times. They met once because their politics were so completely different. Uh, King represents that kind of civil rights. Let's integrate into the system. Let's you know try and we need white people to su- support of white people, so we have to be all hands, hold hands, and et cetera, et cetera. Whereas Malcolm's the black radical tradition, which is, bon all of that. Forget, forget all of that. Actually, what we need. Is revolution what we need? Is self-help? What we need is a completely different political system.
0: Right? Do you think that might be to a degree? Because Martin Luther King was obviously a Christian minister, and his philosophy would ultimately be derived from spiritual and scriptural tradition. And Malcolm X is coming from, like, to a degree, nation, but in later life, Islam, more traditionally. What What do you think are the the religious influences
1: on both of their positions? um well i think early on so nation of islam and i do talk a lot about nation of islam in the book uh is a version of islam but it's a version of islam which is black separatist and you know embedded in it says that we don't need white people so i think actually that is quite a big reason why malcolm early on is like you know just forget white people right because that's what it says in in the nation of islam but then when he converts to sunni muslim to sunni islam i mean that's honestly islam and christianity are very similar they have very similar beliefs, they have very similar tenets, they're about peace. Um, but his philosophy doesn't change. When he changed, when he moves into that more a, a religion where he would say he's more accepting everybody, etc., etc., he still holds on to his black radical beliefs. So I don't think it's just because King's a Christian, although I think that influences it, but I think it's more the, what's the what, what politics do you believe in? Because if you look back at the history of some of the most um, violent rebellions against slavery, they were Christian preachers same book that Martin Luther King's reading and they're saying let's um, you know let's burn it down so there is a Christian philosophy which would say we still need to burn it down because this is not going to work for us.
0: You don't believe then there's any integrated any possibility of integrated freedom for black people because the thing that black people would be integrated into is a system that oppresses them and is it not possible to create new superstructures that could be Free and I
1: emphasise new
0: superstructures <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For that could will be free from the kind of racial prejudice and bias that are, that are underwrite oppression.
1: Uh, this system can no more provide freedom, justice, and equality than a chicken can lay a duck egg. That's Malcolm X, right? I mean, we just understand that this the, what what we live in today is built a hundred percent on the oppression of black and brown people. I mean, actually, the book I'm currently writing, actually, the West is built on racism kind of outlines... That's the exactly. title. That is the working, <laughs> working title. It it's might catchy. change. Working title, you never know. But um, if you actually look historically, what makes the West the West? It's finding the Americas. Uh, it's a genocide of tens of millions of people, followed by slavery, which killed tens of millions of people, followed by colonialism, which killed probably hundreds of millions of people. Um, all black and brown people. And so what you have to understand is that when we're looking at the inequalities today and a child dies every 10 seconds because they have no access to food, all of those children black and brown uh, the, the logic of this system is racism so how could you ever possibly expect it? within this what we currently have to have equality it's, not, it's, it's literally impossible right? you
0: think that's the defining uh, modality of uh, not only western imperialism but power is racism Like it, because it feels to me because obviously I'm a white person so like um, like I look for different <laughs> narratives because <and laughs> uh, otherwise I'm in the baddies. <laughs> like, like I don't want to be in the baddies. Yeah. Uh, like so like and also like that's it's just the the thing is like I feel and probably a lot of white people will be disheartened at the implication that there is that that the are you saying that the only solutions are sort of separatist or sectarian solutions? Uh
1: no like you there are other look I what I'm saying is the only solution is revolution. You've had marxism, right communism which suggests that capitalism needs to end which would also be revolution. Uh potentially that could erase racism. What I'm trying to say is I just don't you can't trust people in the west and that includes black people in the west and asian people in the west. But obviously, it's mostly white people. You can't trust mm. people who live, who benefit off a system which oppresses and kills black and brown people. To end that system, so <laughs> if we want to end it, we have to end it ourselves. That's why that's the argument for black radicalism.
0: As black people f- thrive and flourish, not in uh, you know sort of proportional, uh like not not proportionally, but to a degree, you know, like there is a, 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 a members of the elite that are black. There are there is a black middle class, as they integrate into these structures is there a central blackness uh compromised is there an essential blackness to which you refer and what uh, when you talk
1: about revolution what do you mean so i think to come back to cat always i think you can see very clearly that there's a central blackness which is compromised right i mean one of the concepts I talk about in the book actually is uh, psychosis of whiteness, right? So actually, one of the whiteness has been a a set of ideas that's so delusional because we have to protect ourselves. You and when I say we, I mean we, we, generally. we have to protect ourselves from the reality that we live off dead children. That is what makes us wealthy today. This this is the system which which feeds us. So we have to have this kind of delusional idea, whiteness. You kind of can't reason with it. And the best the the best example of the psychosis of whiteness I've heard for a long time. Was Candice Owens sitting in this chair last week, talking completely contradictory about everything? Doesn't make sense. Wrapped around in a in a bubble, and you when you try to talk to her and explain just simple things, and it's just like you're talking to yourself, right? And so that's what happens to us when we integrate into these systems. We just become the same. That's why whiteness isn't just for white people. Whiteness is that idea that philosophy that protects this system and unfortunately many of us now in the west uh black and brown people in the west um also engage in it so that that does i think that that does take away from our our blackness as a political ideology
0: if the these categories are shifting like categories of even ethnicity are shifting beyond like their beyond their biological beyond biology that there are people that you could term as white that are black i don't know about vice versa i've seen that documentary (laughs) no one comes out of any credit like um like i feel like um how like how do you how do you galvanize people behind a revolution when it's the the sort of the when i want to say when the qualification for it is kind of is, is shifting. Who is it that we're ch- trying to reach? I understand that historically the wealth of Western nations is built on colonisation, slavery. I, I understand that, you know, and probably people that are sort of uh, uh, like a believing empire and believing nation will say, no, it's built on innovation and ingenuity and technology. And that's part of the story. But also there's a lot of oppression and a lot of yeah, a death lot. as well. Yeah, a lot, yeah, quite a lot. Yeah, there's <laughs> <it's> quite <laughs> a lot of that. So there's a lot <laughs> of it that's gone on. Yeah. Like, how do you think how do you propose to like how do you propose to reach out and bring people together around an idea of dismantling these structures and what is it we'd look to replace it with i'm glad to be the person asking that question
1: (laughs) for a change instead of having to answer um well i think one i think when we think about and it's again part of what the book is what is blackness that hasn't changed that's been steady for centuries what is blackness blackness is an identity that says that because we are from africa and i look like this because i'm descended from africa uh, that puts me into a category of other people who are descendants of africa and now importantly because we're descendants of africa one of the things the west does is racial hierarchy has black people at the bottom and white people at the top now that hasn't changed look at the west the poorest continent in the world is Africa the richest countries in the world are all where the white people live right so you actually have racial hierarchy so this isn't something that just happened in the past this is something that is still happening to date and what blackness is blackness is is called into being because we recognise that we are oppressed within the system partly. We also recognise that we are connected together. We're, we're what we call the global Black nation. So, what's being asked for, or what the call is to unite people, is unite around that. Understand that you can never, because we're Black, we will never have freedom or equality within these systems. And we have a responsibility to all other people who are Black, and they're doing far worse than us as well. So, our problems here are bad. But our problems elsewhere are far worse. So of those child that dies every 10 seconds because they have no access to food, at least 60% are in Africa, right? Three million children die in Southeast Africa every year for no reason at all, right? That's the political project that Black Radicalism is calling us to unite, around, And I don't see why that would turn people off. I think that's something that if we understand our history, our location, and where we're trying to go, that should be something that brings us together.
0: Why would that be a call that you would specifically make to... Black people that now may personally identify as Swedish or French or American, and you think that's risible to do you like no, uh, why not white that. people? why shouldn't white people care about
1: no every the, look I don't worry everybody should care like lots of children die it's not just black children uh and it's problem, and we should all care, but the reality is uh, materially there's no and this is this is i guess this, this is the point right. If you look at my my actual material location in this world, there's absolutely no reason where I should give one damn about those dead children. In fact, I have what I have because they did. That's the way capitalism works. So all of us here, whether it's Sweden, British, America, etc., all of us benefit from it. So it's kind of... It's just not... like. Me trying to convince everybody that, hey, we should look at this. It's not going to happen. That's not how these things work, right? What I am saying, though, is because of our particular history of blackness and our particular experience of it here, so we're not going to get full equality here anyway. So the way that we're treated badly here, police brutality, poverty, racism in schools, is related to the same reason why those children die. So actually, our position is a bit different because we're black. Um, And then also, I guess I'm arguing that we should elevate beyond our material position. I'm, I I this I I look like these children like this is matters like you know what I'm saying when you turn on the TV and you see those um, the starving kids with the big bellies that could be my son so that should actually elevate me beyond my actual location to say actually this is my political project and I just think maybe everybody should care but it's a bit less likely that everybody's gonna engage in
0: it. There's two things, Kahindi, that makes me think. One is that the fact that there is a sort of a like a, an apparent physical resemblance. Between uh, black people, like that, you know, it's not shared by Japanese people or Caucasian people. That that sh- it should be a meaningful connection, and that we can't push that to be uh, like a, a total. That our ambition ought not be a total brotherhood or fraternity, or we'll call it we will, of all human beings. For me, that. It troubles me, again, because I'm a white person. And like uh, maybe if I was a black person, I'd be like, yeah, this is, seems like a good point <laughs> yeah. to step off.
1: <laughs> um,
0: but then uh, the other thing is, is that it feels to me that what you're saying, in a way, that this transcendent idea of blackness is a spiritual idea, that to overcome and reject your material position in favour for an ideal that is uh, built upon a kind of uh, a whole... Uh, I, I, a whole and, uh, yeah, I say transcendent idea of blackness that that should be at the core of, of the black experience wherever you are in the world as a black person.
1: Uh, yeah, actually, I was talking to you last time that gave me this kind of argument, right? Ah. Uh, I was just at a conference. I thought I was an influential <laughs> yeah, no, black I thinker. I was at a conference last, last week, The Politics of Love at Oxford University which was interesting for many reasons um, <laughs> but but it is kind of this is uh, Huey P. Newton Elaine Brand the Black Panther Party they talked about um, a revolutionary love for the people And actually, that is more than anything what we're talking about. It's not about hatred or not liking white people. It's about understanding our history and our location. Look, I'm black. Like, that physical thing's important because I'm not black for no reason. Like, I'm black for a reason. You can't explain the history, my present current location, without the history of Africa, etc. So uh, it's a real connection, historical connection. And it's about saying, well, actually, our love for all of us, the diaspora, uh, takes us to a different level politically because we can't just stick about what's happening in Britain or black professors or all that stuff we actually have to talk about the real problems in the world which are children die regularly and so it is it is actually a transcendent I think I think at least it should be transcendent it doesn't have to be like what's the other thing black I'm not saying you have to like in fact there's more logical reasons for people to be like more like Candice Owens than more revolutionary. Like, you're just being rational, right? You're making yeah. rational choices. But actually, what I'm saying is we're better than that, and we should be better than that, and we should elevate beyond that.
0: Because that is, a, in a sense, you're making an appeal to invisible ideas, and, and as you, to use your your words, ideas that are not entirely rational. That Candice Owens' position of, well, you live in America. America is a land of opportunity. Slavery is not happening now, and if you as an individual want to sort of forget Jim Crow and just plow onwards yeah. with your yeah. gumption... <laughs> Yeah. You're going to yeah, be that's, fine. That's, that's,
1: the rational, that's the rational thing. That makes sense, right? But, and I think it goes back to the spiritual. If you look at um, African traditions, African systems and belief, what's really important is the ancestors, the dead. The dead are with us. Eh? They don't leave us. And so actually that kind of ancestral connection is really, really important. So when I say we're connected to Africa, if you take it from a spiritual perspective, we're actually properly connected. Our ancestors, that's, that's us. And in a way, to go against that goes against you spiritually.
0: You are then referring to an idea of latent, adhered, indigenous faith, an idea of like pre-Christian, African, you know, I don't know, pagan belief in the ancestor and our relationship with, within one, with to one another as a whole, that this is something that should be
1: honoured. Yeah, no, it's a Europe. It's a very European idea that the past is the past and the past is dead and it's, it's gone and it's disappeared. I think you find most traditional religions, or not not religions, traditional beliefs, hold on to the idea that the past, the future, and the present are kind of a lot more closer than we think. Mm-hmm. So you can't this linear explanation is it's nonsense, and that's part. That's partly this. If you're going to have a spirituality of blackness, that's it, right? Progressivism,
0: in a sense, the, b- b- being one like, like I. I, I a sort of as if there is a teleology to technology to materialism to consumerism that we are progressing we are going forward I mean even sort of Christianity which in this sort of its Protestant form is the sort of the uh, uh, the sort of ideological template for um, our secular societies, shall we say, even there, the idea of the father and us coming from the father is a sort of a, 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 a defining, determining idea, but, uh, uh, but only perhaps at the expense of the individual and the progress of the individual and the power of the individual. So when you're like... Uh, when you're writing uh, uh, Back to Black or your next book The West is Bastards (laughs) or whatever whatever it's called like what what is the campaign that uh, you like what do you think uh you know black people not I'm going to say young black people in this country but you know, forget those categories because you're sort of saying that they're irrelevant that the idea of nation is part of the oppressive uh, pro, oppre, the oppressive structures that prevent black people achieving freedom so if you're a black person anywhere what are the campaigns that you'll be getting behind are you talking about sort of philanthropic campaigns to help uh, african kids that are being you know killed as a result of you know, sort of capitalism lack of resources etc because of the IMF or however you see it, what do you think, what is the campaign, what action should, uh,
1: I have to say they, (laughs) because I'm not a (laughs) black person, be behind? Um, So what I think, well, I mean, caveat, just because something's not radical, it doesn't mean it's not a good idea. And if you look at most black politics, they focus on the symptoms. So for example, children dying is a symptom, Mm. police brutality is a symptom, and actually all of our politics is about the symptoms. How do we fix this particular symptom? um now the symptoms kill us so actually you have to treat the symptoms or it'll die right so i w- i don't want to say opening an orphanage or giving money to isn't isn't a good thing because of course it's a good thing you should do that that's important but we also have to recognize that if you don't treat the actual disease then the symptoms will carry on endlessly 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 and this is the this is the cycle we've been trapped in treating the symptoms and not the disease mm. and the disease is simple it is the political and economic system so therefore we need to have not a campaign but a movement what we call a revolution, right? To <laughs> overturn the political and economic system, and I think that's what we haven't done, really. So what the book really is, kind of theoretical, but also trying to make a, a case for what we should do. And what we should do is build um, an organization, an organization, a mass organization across what we call the global Black nation uh, that include that forget British, American, whatever, just across everywhere that really links us together properly that builds those connections properly Um, and that once you have that organisation which isn't simple that's when you have true political power and then you can start to say well actually how do we do things differently and it sounds a little bit utopian but a hundred years ago the Universal Negro Improvement Association as started by Marcus Garvey Amy Jakes Garvey uh, later on as well had an organisation that was 5 million members across 50 countries this is before the telephones even really used forget internet forget twitter and all that five million people a hundred years ago was probably like 20 million people today it's a mass organization so and it wasn't 100% radical in many ways it was a bit capitalist it was a bit bougie in some ways but the mechanism was there and if they can get together five million people across 50 countries with no communication what is stopping us from doing something bigger than that and building the global black nation as a real thing
0: i would mm, the answer would be that perhaps oppression was less insidious and more vivid then, and therefore it would probably easier to frame the objectives of such a movement in terms of equality, whereas under the terms of your argument, Kahindi, equality itself is being determined by what is afforded to e.g. white citizens and is therefore systemically tainted in a way you are talking about revolution in in the most radical terms in the sense of like the uh, uh, end of our conventional understanding of nation and how we arrived at nation, nation in its modern form as you know the, the sharing the spoils of colonialism. We spoke last time about reparations and like i was quite struck by how the reparation argument helps us to see that what we uh, take for granted as nation in in a vivid and contemporary sense is the manifestation of the oppression and, and genocides of, of the past but how do we mobilize uh, people to participate in what it's hard not to conceive of as their own destruction regardless of if you are black or white because you know i don't even i think sort of the people with most to gain say that you are a member of the urban underclass in any uk city and you're black it still might be hard to wrap your head around
1: let's get rid of the idea of nation is it hard I think okay, on that level of let's get rid of the idea of nation, yes, probably you're not going to get many people saying, yeah, it's a great idea. But in terms of the actual practicalities, of the, what does that mean? So what does that mean? And I think this is where the Black Panther Party is instructive. So, you know, revolutionary organization, they believed in revolution and end of capitalism. But what did they actually do? They provided free food. They provided free healthcare, They had a newspaper. They had free legal advice. They actually dealt with the symptoms as well. And oh. so any movement has to do that. Has to deal with the problems that people face locally because no one's going to jump on board and say let's end capitalism you have to build a and that, again where part of this love comes in how do you care for people how do you bring people in how do you create a movement which is caring and in doing that then people come along and come on board with the with the revolution it's the only way it's the only real way to do it it's not just an abstract let's go end capitalism you have to build the community first how do you propose to do that uh, so like I said, we started, so the book makes this, this argument for the Hirambi organisation, the Black Unity. Uh, there's a website, blackunity.org.uk. Uh, we just started it in Birmingham. So one of the, again, to quote Malcolm X, again, not even quote, but Malcolm basically takes the Garvey movement, which was problematic in many ways, and radicalises it. So starts the organisation of Afro-American unity in 1964, which hardly anybody's ever heard of, which is strange, considering that Malcolm X is one of the most famous people of the 20th century, was re- working on this when he died, isn't included in his autobiography isn't included in the film about him isn't included in much written about him which is odd right the reason i'd argue that's why is because it's basically the solution just, this is an actual revolutionary mechanism and the way the organization works is essentially like a government so you have a department of education of health of business etc uh people pay a proper rate like like tax uh but it's this it's this we decide what we do with that money and we do things differently and it creates a level of independence
0: wow would you be ideally you'd be exempted from any other forms of taxation so you would say right i'm no longer part of england or america or finland i'll pay my
1: tax to this this operation ideally but i doubt that's gonna happen right (laughs) let's just be realistic but yeah no ideally but i mean on a basic level and this is actually they take they take their model from the church this is how the black church works tithing right you tithe 10 percent for heaven why don't you tithe 10 percent for your actual community right Um, and imagine if you have if you have this you have chapters in Birmingham in Manchester in Kingston in Kinshasa and you build all those together then you have a massive revolutionary potentially revolutionary organisation which doesn't have any national borders because the national borders have disappeared which has political agenda which has a local agenda and if that's what we're trying to do for the next give it a few years hopefully the next 10 years we'll have built a massive organisation that goes across the globe that can then talk about revolution really because at the minute it's like theoretical if you build this organization it's not theory
0: because i think that some of the challenges are that any centralized organization is so immediately beset with uh, sectarianism and infighting it becomes so complex and the initial challenges of addressing symptoms are so significant even if you were to take on something like how do we protect young black members like citizens from legal disputes or police brutality or negative uh the impact of negative stereotypes or you know like that that, that this, this, this it's so fractured and fragmented the issues that it's hard to in a sense be global in to, to have a global vision because we are all mired like you know to talk about see you know, like a a, a smaller component of identity politics to which I personally belong, uh, the community of recovering addicts, right? I like just come from a meeting with organisation that believe in abstinence-based recovery as opposed to harm reduction, meaning like that the goal for anyone that's got an addiction issue is you've got to you be clean from all substances, not on some sort of methadone subscription or whatever. And that given that like harm reduction is easier for the government to fund because as soon as someone's on a methadone script, they're dealt with, whereas putting someone through 6 to 12 to 18 weeks of tr- residential treatment is much more money, no guarantee of a positive outcome. You know, so like... To create like organisations built around a simple idea where you sort of self-identify as an addict, it's still very hard to uh, g- get these v- various views to congeal and come together. You know, it's like like how you do it with something as potentially enormous as a sort of a, a global black unity is difficult. But like, but given that I'm an optimist, and given the <laughs> the, 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 the what was currently in place. <laughs> isn't working you know for I would you know of course again from my perspective it's perhaps determined on economic and spiritual lines The you know like the vast majority of people are in my opinion living substandard lives without access to the resources emotional spiritual material that they're entitled to and there's no reason for this like degree of suffering when there is the affluence and abundance that we have on the planet like how what kind of what in malcolm x's uh, original idea of african-american unity is that what it's called like and your version of uh uh, black unity across the planet what is the relationship between an organization such that as that and white people that uh don't feel like no my role is to crush this black unity movement (laughs) 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 and and ensure that uh Uh, white systems remain in power how do you reach out in fellowship with the many, many, vast majority, because yeah. it's only a tiny percentage of anybody that's basically benefiting, isn't it? You know, like, yeah. isn't it? I mean, well, we we're all doing are, better I mean. than them kids that are <laughs> exactly. dead mining for copper <laughs> yeah, or whatever.
1: Exactly. I mean, I guess for black radicalism, the audience is slightly different because to address that question of how do, you, how do you keep it radical, the only way to do that, um, and actually, what Malcolm wanted to do was the oaau was supposed to be linked to the organization of african unity on the african continent and the only real way to keep it honest is to have the people the wretched of the earth who look all of us benefit even the poorest black person in this country their kids not gonna die because they haven't got food right like you're just not like it's better to be poor here than it is to be poor in the congo so all of us benefit to some level even though we're Massively discriminated against here as well. So, the only way to keep it honest is to have the people who are really, really suffering, the, po- the poorest people. So, from the very offset, it can't be a Western thing where it's just we get together and talk about stuff because that will very quickly turn into a integration club. It has to be how do you reach out to the African continent? So, one of the things we did last couple of weeks, we we had a conference at Birmingham City University where we re engaging Pan Africanism. We brought speakers from South Africa and Nigeria, um, South Africa and Ghana. Uh, we're hoping to do a, a major conference in ghana in three years we can actually connect these things together because i think once you start to hear what's actually happening to people i think it changes your whole mentality i don't want like for example Let's take black professors for example. Like, this is a big thing at the minute in the UK. There's a lack of black professors, and everybody's moaning about it. And we need more black professors, and of course we do, right? I just became a professor, so
0: congratulations. Is it
1: no <laughs> I mean, on becoming a black <laughs> thank professor? You. <laughs> thank you. But is it is it is it? I we had a whole three hour class with the, with the class about whether this is even something to celebrate,
0: right? Right, because you would argue, oh well, then you've just become systemized. Yeah,
1: what does that mean, et cetera, et cetera? But there's a bigger point. Like I can spend my time arguing for more black professors, or I could spend my time saying there's three million children that die in Southeast Africa every year and how do we fix that? And actually those two things are diametrically opposed anyway. So I think once once we start to understand what the real problems are, then I think that shifts our mentality. I don't believe in this stuff just because I believe it. I believe in it because I understand that the thing works.
0: What is your personal experience? I understand what you're saying in terms of your identity as a black man. But what is your personal and emotional connection to this suffering and oppression? What is it that has affected you? Is it academic, intellectual and cultural or is something rooted itself in you that hasn't in a lot of uh, Western, Anglophonic black people?
1: No, I think, it do- I, think, I think it does in most people. I think actually when I, that's one of the things about talking about the book, going around having these conversations. I've been surprised. that the range of people who've, been engaged, surprised the hell out of me, I'm not going to lie, like people in the banking sector, people who I never would have thought would have been interested at all, um, on reading they're like, okay, well, I never thought about it like that, I never, you know, because the way our school system is, the way our media is, the way everything is, it's all about Britain, 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 and we've kind of lost that global focus, and when you look at it, it's, I don't know, it's obvious, isn't it? it seems obvious to me that the real struggle isn't here, the real struggle is elsewhere. I uh, agree just but... in terms of
0: prioritising <laughs> like it's sort of like it's more important I think this when you see arguments about film stars of different genders getting less money or whatever I think you know that's a bit like the black professor argument it's like well what is where well, I wonder I said, implicit in what you are saying Kahindi, is that if we were to turn our focus to the i mean again it is the symptoms but like you know like uh, the most egregious symptoms of you know oppression racism the, the do you think that that in, would just somehow create a shift if instead of thinking about a, um, you know like sort of within a national context uh, a representation under representation if we said look let's just fo- solely focus on trying to not have impoverished children yeah. like, you know, do you think that, yeah. that would
1: I mean, that'd be a basically good principle and this is the problem <laughs> with the left in general right like the left always here Corbyn left Marx even Marx, Marxist, Marxist socialist Workers Party you always focusing on what's happening in Britain just uh, this, this not the working class struggle is not really taking place here it's taking place in factories in Asia right yeah. I mean, that's, that's the problem that's where the proletariat is isn't they ain't in or whatever. so I think there's a general principle if we looked where the real oppression is who has it the worst and we focused our politics there that would probably be a good route to some more revolutionary solutions
0: that requires such a change ideologically in a sense like whilst what uh, Candice owens who on a personal level i must reiterate i've gotten very well with like what what she's saying doesn't require a particularly radical shift because the sort of the heritage of that ideology is in place and the systems that perpetuate it are in place but to st- to say why don't we put aside our concerns about brexit or no brexit and focus instead on the serious say you know humanitarian and ecological issues that are most are having an impact now like if we take in our own lives the most, the worst thing that can happen to me would be something to to one of my children that is happening to other people's children so let's prioritize that you know that for that to happen i have to subjugate my obsession with my own life goals and my own sense of who I am as a man and what my role is and what my objectives are that those things would have to be put aside and that and typically traditionally at least you're proposing that that could be achieved through a kind of identification with your race and with your heritage that people could put aside their individual identity, their national identity, their identity as a West Ham fan or an Aston Villa fan (laughs) or whatever it is or a vegetarian (laughs) and like instead go, no, I come from here and I'm the same as these kids and I'm saying that the only way that's been achieved and the only way I can almost understand of it as being achieved is a literal uh, symbol of transcendence as achieved through the spirit, religion, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think that Historically, we've seen it. I think we see it, even with things like Black Lives Matter. I think you see. I think we're seeing a more emergence of it now. And also, other thing that makes us different, and this is black people different, is that we cannot get freedom and equality in this system. Like even geez, even me, Mister Black Professor, I get racism every single day. Okay. Like, oh, gee, of course, like so. There's we understand there is a limit. To where we're going here, right? I know that my kids are going to struggle, even though I sh- they shouldn't. They're going to have far more of a struggle than they should do, uh, based on their economic position. So I think that's what—that's the other thing, which is the real, real solution, the real situation that we find ourselves in, is that it isn't difficult to connect what's happening in Africa to what's happening in, in Hansworth in Birmingham. We can connect those things very simply, and so I think because of that, and I think you're seeing that with young people, why young people are out in the streets, why young people are, are dissatisfied. Um, even while they're claiming Britishness, like they, they—it's like everybody. Uh, this is what always gets me: is like I don't know why anybody's surprised that we get treated badly as black people. So, for example, the Windrush crisis, everyone's oh, they treat treated us so bad. What do you expect? Like, I mean, that's, that's Britain. That is your historical relationship to this country. You have a passport. You could be, it don't matter. You'd be born here. People who were born here get treated like second-class citizens. So regardless, people who, get, who were born outside. But I think because these things are happening, because people are starting to realise that you actually have a, a material reason why black people would join. It's not just about faith and hope. It's about actually people understand that they're not going to have equality. And so we need something different
0: but that equality and this idea of equality is it's hard i would i would submit to make a tangible to the point where it's worth making the kind of sacrifice that that might demand beyond the theoretical stage that to prioritise the global black experience yeah. above your experience as an individual yeah. is such a, a huge ideological leap.
1: Which Can- is, yeah, which is why I think that you have to deal with the symptoms where I said you still, if you had this local organisations, they're still dealing with those issues. I'm not saying don't deal with the symptoms. Don't worry about the black kids who are getting bullied or not in, doing well in school or police brutality. You've got to deal with them or nobody will come with you. No one's going to jump on board for the global revolution. Revolution happens at home, right? It starts in the community. So I 100% agree. You have to have a politics that can do both. So you feel
0: that that there is a deeper affinity, a gene DNA deep affinity between black people that trumps any other type of interpersonal affinity that could be achieved. Even if that black person has... in. D- entirely become uh, systemized and is entirely existing you know like in a sense right do you you have more sisterhood <laughs> with candace owens as a black woman <laughs> than me as a white man because candace owens is ultimately at essence f- like you from africa product of colonization and oppression and i am a white man ultimately in a position to benefit from these systems and I am benefiting from these systems.
1: Uh, there was a saying, what was it? Stokely Carmichael became Kwame Touré said, every Negro is a potential black person. Which, af- after having hearing Candice Owens, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure we can keep that. <laughs> but No, I think, no, like, I'm not making, it's not, it's, a, it's not like a genetic thing. It's a, I guess on some level we're saying it's hereditary, right? Black this means something that connects you historically but I'm not saying all black people will agree with that all all black people have to agree with that right Candace Owens as far as I'm concerned she's gone me and you have far more affinity she's she's off on that she's off on the plantation somewhere like we can we don't have to take everybody right and it really is more about politics do you engage in this politics or not many people won't engage some people will but what I would say though is and this is also from history is that people tend to get on board people in my position tend to get on board when they don't really have a choice. So mm-hmm. if you look at the Haitian Revolution, for example, that we remember Toussaint Louverture, who kind of led the revolution eventually, but he didn't get involved at first. He was a free. He'd been he'd been freed. He was a slave, but he was free. He actually owned slaves in Haiti. <laughs> when the revolution started, started by the grassroots, the underclass, um, he didn't want to know. He was like, that's nothing to do with me. What <laughs> <laughs> don't I idle? And you also had the mixed race class who they called the mulattoes, who were free and had some clo- had some power in the in the colonial order. At the start of the revolution, they didn't want to know either. It was only when the the enslaved had pushed it to a point where it's either, look, you join us or you're with them. Then were, all of a sudden, Tucson came on board, everybody came on board. And I think that's probably a similar process that we'd have to go through. You don't mm-hmm. need everybody to start with, but eventually people come on board, right?
0: What about July, uh, June? And the, like? what do you feel like uh, Come a, some of these mass protest movements that seem at least from the outside as yet to be politically indeterminate in the conventional sense but i've seen both people on the right and left claim like uh, this populist french movement as their own french politics as we know is beset with uh, a post-colonial conflict and oppositionism and like you know like paris has been like a like yeah. hotbed yeah. <laughs> of uh, uh, sort of racial yeah. and anti-Islamic mm-hmm. and te- you know sentiment and terrorism. Let's say so what well, this is though interesting to me to see in this uh, this uh, this fractured time, which most easily it seems yields territory to the right, at least on the evidence of recent elections. Um, it seems that this is uh you know we're going to start to see that the right wing ultimately we're going to see that white right wing politics won't work for ordinary people of any colour. You yeah, know, yeah, presumably that will be more pronounced f- for uh, non-white people. So, what do you feel about uh, Gilles you And do you see that there's anything, or is this uh, again, would you say just a struggle taking place within a colonial framework? Even though to me it seems like a sort of a, a quite a sort of a primal attempt to sort of really challenge structures.
1: Um, it could be. I mean, I think it's it's one of those where. Again, similar with Black Lives Matter, you see that there's a, the urgencies there and the, the people understand that things are terrible and things need to fundamentally change, um, but it needs, it needs organizing, it needs politics. Otherwise, it's, it's just anger and it doesn't necessarily get you anywhere and it can equally go to the right as it can go to the left. And I think I'm not I'm not sure what the politics of it is. It seems a bit, rea- France is a bit like that, they're a bit reactionary, right? Something happens and they react, and, it's, uh, and then they go it's back. Set fire to the lorry. Exactly, <right? laughs> But you need more than that. You need, that's part of the reason why I wrote the book, right? Uh, what's the political ideology which we are going with and actually radicalism doesn't necessarily mean protest or in the street or violence. Radicalism means going down a particular political agenda. So I think uh, being in the street and protesting the rising gas prices could be the start of something but there's not necessarily anything more to it than that right?
0: Certainly like perhaps um, you know like Occupy uh, uh, it, it d- when people are on the streets, for me, that is like like you were saying about that Haitian revolution that is the point where people are willing to go, oh, okay, this is affecting me now, so <laughs> like i'm I'm coming out, I'm sticking the the yellow vest on um you know, like, um, individualism is, a uh, whilst it's not, ex- well, I suppose it is explicitly part of the American dream, for example, and p- explicitly part of Protestantism. So, yeah, perhaps it is explicitly part of our sort of cultural or national ideology. I feel like it's a very difficult thing to overwhelm in that it, inhabits your body like you know i know that i you know at least i feel like i know that i am me and these that's my hunger and that's my sexual desire and that's my anger and for me to be able to redirect my personal impulses to causes that not only don't benefit me but could possibly on a material level be to my detriment requires a certain degree of faith and that faith that's not an easy thing to come by. That's a hard thing for people. Maybe different if you are, you know, but you are presumably, you know, you're in a pretty good position. Your kids are probably in a good position. You've got a good job. You're respected. You're a member of your community with a degree of power, etc. So, what sacrifices are you willing to make?
1: <laughs> we have this conversation a lot, actually, in our black studies. Do you? So, we have a black studies degree. And, they're, I'm, always saying, like, Birmingham. Birmingham and yeah. I'm always saying, like, Birmingham City University. And I'm always saying, like, I'm not radical. They're like, what do you mean? You know, we must be radical. You wrote the book on radicalism. You must be radical. I'm saying, well, if I was radical, I wouldn't be in this job. Mm. Professor is not a radical occupation. I've said that what we need to do is start an organisation, a Rambi organisation of Black Unity, and the sacrifice I should do is I should go and do that. Why am I in this job? Just go and leave. But obviously, I got a mortgage. I got four kids. <laughs> it's not that simple, right? So even on my personal level, you still. I understand the need to say actually look I've got me as my family you have to provide for that and how do we and you people don't just sacrifice stuff for the faith in this is going to happen um, but I think but I think also I think that actually one of the reasons why I do think sorry about the issue of we're more human than you like to think I think actually people feel worse about the conditions of the world than we often give them credit for for example why is whiteness a psychosis? Why do I say it's a psychosis? Because it's a protective mechanism. Because if we actually were to address the real situation in the world, you know, with everybody would just collapse, right? Yeah. So, as much so, even Candace Owens, like she's why is she so fervent in her ridiculously delusional beliefs? Because deep down, she knows she knows she she has to protect herself. Because to actually, to acknowledge the actual reality of what racism is, in, just just America, just just America, forget the rest of the world, that would completely and utterly destroy her location she's given she has her job on her platform because she's a right wing well what did i say before the the blackface on white racism right? i mean that that's her job right yeah i didn't so, say that to her <laughs> say, yeah. no mate no. i didn't say would've that would have gone down well <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but you know but so deep so on some level she... i think
0: if you met her, she's charming that's what i'll say to you Is like you know but in a sense look in a way we all got our politics haven't we but like you say and like you know both of us here we are both of us with our radical beliefs ultimately admitting that when it comes to it, I've got to look after my daughters, you've got to look after your four kids, you know, and it's like a lot more pressure has got to be exerted on me before I'm like, that's it, I'm out there now, I'm putting on the yellow vest, I'm picking (laughs) up whatever I need to pick up.
1: Yeah, but that's why we have to create the, we have to create conditions where you can have, so for example, I keep talking about the organisation, I would like to think in 10 years, five, 10 years at least, it's to a point where I can leave my job and be maybe not as comfortable as I currently am, but comfortable. I need to be wealthy. I just need to be able to pay the bills and feed the kids, right? So, and I think that's possible if we do the right things. And I think if you you gave people that option, I think they'd be fine with it.
0: Deep down, if we believed that by living by our principles, we would be happier, like the one I always think is, what if I, instead of going, hey, there shouldn't be homeless people, I just, like, when it, like I just, right, come on, this room, in this office, we could have homeless people sleeping in here, we'd have homeless people in our spare room, right, let's start living by this stuff, part of me thinks I would be eventually happier. Like, you know, once I got past that, i oh, bloody hell, they've used my shampoo. <laughs> like, once, once I got past that, well, the, the toilet's blocked. Who done that? Right, like, like, uh, I'd, I'd eventually be happier. But it requires a sort of faith. It requires that I reach inside myself. Now, like a person that's like what they would call themselves either a conservative or right wing or they would say I'm the realist. I don't know how they would describe themselves, but they're not faced with that challenge. because so they can say, no, I'm living the life that I say I'm living and you are as well. You're living the life that I, like, you know, because you're, when it comes to it, you're not leaving your jobs and you're not leaving your nice house. You know, like, it's a, it's hard for us. I feel like it's, hard.
1: Yeah, no, but, that, but that's why it's not about us as individuals. It's about, and that's why, again, I always say you cannot rely on me to lead the revolution because I got far too much to lose, which is why you have to bring in. The masses, the poor, the, uh, so the Black Panther Party, for example, recruited in prisons. Why? Because those are the people who have nothing to lose. And they will keep you honest. Because if you, I, I, you know, even now, like, you know, so I got, I, I'm comfortable. So I don't necessarily push it as much as I should do. But if you've got people who have nothing, they're, they're the people who will push it. And that's how we have to build organizations. And I think, particularly for black politics, but politics in general, we just kind of miss the people who are at the bottom are not there. They have no voice whatsoever. They're not part of it. And because they're not part of it, they're not pushing us to be better i think
0: well because they have sort of in a sense been entirely exempted again i have a different lens than you but like when i like use um when i think about like uh the, the, maybe we talked about it last time cuz i think i may have just read it at that point or at least watched the documentary about what james baldwin said about the creation of the cl- the category of negro in order to further white majority to disown their collective shadow I thought that was sort of, that was fascinating. And for me, it seems like even when, when you sort of say Tommy Robinson says, like, well, the reason we didn't join the BNP is because our black mates weren't welcome there. So we set up the EDL <laughs> <laughs> to be <Nice> able to black mates could be in it like, you know, like, um, like, I feel like there is a sort of a sense, uh, like, God, I don't know what, what level, I'm not, I don't know if we're talking about the powerful, because there's no question that, like, you know, people like Tommy Robinson are, like, their, their claimed constituency is the, like, the white working class or people that feel that immigration is putting pressure on them and that, that you know, they're disillusioned with power. Everyone on, or on all sides, it seems, are dissatisfied with the government and conventional politics, at least, now. Um, excuse me, but, like, for me, this category of the other, the excluded other, like for me is beyond a racial categorization because when i saw sort the of, you know people that are homeless people that are dispossessed in this country you know and there's no question that as a whole broadly globally uh white nations in very commas are exploiting black brown nations for resources and in a continuation of what began you know 500 years ago um what to to today it feels to me that the uh the the, the principles we need to be organizing around are like, are uh, highly pragmatic ones uh, about dealing with those that have the least mm-hmm. giving a voice to the voiceless and in a sense looking beyond the in a, who issues this category i know there is an essential blackness as in t- in terms of you like can track and genetically witness black ancestry like in your own skin but like in a who i mean in a way i feel like that's still accepting a category that's
1: been issued well no because i think blackness and this is where i disagree with most of my academic colleagues the blackness and race are different things so race is a construction by Europeans, the creation of the Negro. We have no civilization, no culture, no history. We can be enslaved. And blackness is it's their response to that, but it's a response that rejects that. It. It's actually no, we're not. That's not us. Uh, blackness is important because it tells us who we are historically. It, it puts us in a group who are oppressed because of our blackness. Uh, it also puts us into a, um, a diaspora, or a nation. And I think that's that's all it is essentially saying. And it's saying so. And then once you once you look at where that black nation is. Globally, locally, anywhere in the world, you can see we have a very particular location. So, therefore, you should organize pragmatically to change it, right? I mean, that's the basic argument. It's, it's a very simple one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, um, to go back to the point about Tommy Robinson, I think part of the problem with the left is the left has missed out the marginalized as well. There are people, there are many people in. So, what's happened over the last 40 years in the UK, in the West, has been, you know, the. Oh I don't know I said underclass is a terrible way to put it. Deindustrialization, right? People lost jobs, people haven't got people are on welfare, people, you know, there's parts huge parts of the country where white white working class or formerly working class are doing really badly. And just as with black politics, we've kind of ignored people in the ghetto. Guess what? Left and, left politics has ignored people there. And so this is again why people like Candice Candice Owens or just Tommy Robinson, I put them in the same category, are dangerous because they are speaking to those people, right? with nonsense like just I <laughs> giving them crazy crazy ideas about immigration is a problem and about this is the problem and your individual is a problem actually what you need to do is educate people to understand that the state's a problem the government's a problem capitalism's a problem I agree do you think it's that there's a?
0: some people think it was wrong for me to have Candice Owens on the podcast because it's like giving Candice Owens a platform although she's got a massive platform anyway, I would say. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and the same would go for other right-wing activists. It's like controversial to like that. But, but what you're saying about education, like I almost feel sometimes people are afraid because those are like sometimes those arguments because they are visceral, emotional, they're shorthand, they don't rely to a point on r- rationalism other than the service of the individual, which is something we discussed is a sort of an easy to piece together rational idea. People feel that there's something to be gained by not communicating. What's your view it depends what your political project
1: is right. right i mean look, i believe in black radical politics i believe we need to organize and do what we need to do this does not include Candice owens so i'd never i wouldn't invite her i wouldn't do it i've got nothing to say to her she got no there's no there's nothing to be gained like i said it's like a void it's just an empty void it's like talking in a down a hole <laughs> down a hole basically you may as well go and talk to yourself outside that's right. the level of rationality you're going to get but if you believe that that you know the way forward is through discourse and change. And, you know, we can, we can bring other people aboard this. You <laughs> sighed at I that. Guess, you sighed I mean? Even as you couldn't even finish it. the sentence <laughs> yeah, without <but> sighing <laughs> at the futility of
0: it, even as a philosophical <laughs> notion. No,
1: but for, I like, I'm hundred percent certain that there's, the people who watched, particularly online, you're going to have a different audience because she's on there, right? People who yeah. kind of believe that stuff. And if you believe that they can be, um, Reach through rational debate. Then maybe, maybe that could make a difference. Like I said, I don't personally, but why Do you, not?
0: I sometimes think, uh, Kendi, that there is no centralized solution. That we need to have a time of sort of mass devolution, a kind of confederacy of that believes in the empowerment of groups that can identify however they want to identify. Almost like a post-nation state in a sense, like that, if you are like a like a sort of a Islamic fundamentalist and you want to live that way, okay, that's cool, you do that. And if you sort of believe in the, like the black experience, okay, or if you believe in sort of white ethno nationalism, then you can set up your. But like you know, but I feel like in a sense, all these narratives have intersect at the point where. I understand why white working class people are dissatisfied. I would because that's my personal social and cultural experience because like, you know, 50, 60 years ago, or whatever it was white people were told hey Britain is amazing yeah. in fact so amazing <laughs> we'd like you to go and die <laughs> because, oh, in a foreign country for your belief in uh, our belief in this idea and then roll on 20-30 years the the welfare state is being r- repealed and rescinded and oh no yeah no don't worry about that English-British thing anymore that's not real that's just a thing we told you so those people were bloody antagonised and have been exploited by the powerful uh You know, like what you're saying about the sort of the global black experience, one would imagine uh, a paradigmatically could be applied to Muslim nations that are being colonial and uh, exploited corporately, and young Muslims or Muslims in general in this country. You know, so in a sense, one thing that feels universal, at least to me, is that there are powerful people for whom these systems in are entirely beneficial and that's why there is an appetite and many many power structures to support and to maintain them and Negatively impacted by that are members of the working class, Muslims, black people, women, yeah. homosexuals, like, you know, anyone yeah. that's not like, you know, now, of course, that doesn't mean that there's no such thing as, you know, powerful black people that are members of elite or powerful Muslims or powerful women or powerful gay people, but taken as a general thing, you know, there is a there are hierarchies, and those hierarchies have historically been built along the lines that I've described. And to a degree, your argument, at least from your perspective as a black person, is that they continue to exist.
1: Yeah. So the question is, how did you end it? Right. I mean, that and that's the question, and that's where the individual has no role, right? Because it's the collectives. Yeah. The, what is power? Power is the ability to mold collectives, right? The people. What's the West built on? one they go and kill millions of people in the that's power right you literally kill tens of millions of people in natives in the americas and the caribbean and then enslave 100 million people um, even if you look at the power to open a factory and get people to work for nothing you know power is the exercise of the collective for your own good and the only way to end that is to exercise the collective for other good right and so the question we have to ask ourselves is how do we mo- what's the best route to mobilize collectives i'd say the blackness has that? It has. It has what historically it has. It, um, there's a material basis to it. There's a spiritual basis to it. There's a pragmatic basis to it. So, for example, if long term, if you le- what's what's the end game of black radicalism? It is this unity across the African continent, a revolutionary version of Pan Africanism. Um, and if that happens, that ends capitalism. Literally ends cap. Capitalism can only survive partly because it exploits the wealth. It literally, just takes things out of the ground in the Congo, etc., etc. So, if you had this African revolution even though it's a black thing specifically, it ends capitalism. So then you have to actually change everything. Mm. So what you need to do, that's, that's why we should be focusing on I these see. kind of politics.
0: Right? So if Africa as a continent ended its re- current economic relationships with the uh, economic and bureaucratic organizations that have replaced the colonies, that would mean that the structures that are held up by those relationships would collapse
1: automatically like you couldn't you can't like there's two things which capitalism has always depended on one is resources and two is labor africa is about resources africa has the is the richest continent in the entire on the entire planet and it's the resources from africa which is and china's getting involved now as well which is propping up in western capitalism so if you had an african revolution that said say no you have to pay a proper price for those resources that ends capitalism for everybody not just for us for everybody
0: but an African revolution. I've been mean to ask you for a little bit, but it keeps going out my head. Like, is it possible to conceive of a pre colonial Africa? Because, like, you know, I've heard you say, or I've read you that you've written, uh, that, that even conflict within tribal conflict within Africa is a legacy of colonialism. Do you think that? there is the possibility for a for African you probably do because that's what you're writing about but that's that's, (laughs) you you think that's possible like a unified African continent a
1: a revolutionary yeah why why not like it should be possible you're not gaining anything from this system come on I mean and the grassroots in Africa understand 100% I mean why is it you have Boko Haram and Al-Shabaab people joining um, Islamic extremism it's not because they're Muslim or they believe in this stuff it's because where else are they gonna go, right? Right. Like, this represents the mood. Just, yeah, there's just Anchor, exactly. violence. Fuck this. <laughs> there's somebody there <laughs> fight, fighting against the wish, right? So yeah. and those people before would have been in revolutionary movements. So the appetites, people people aren't stupid. They know what their problems are generally. And but I, I, one thing I would caution against is to say that the solution to our problems is pre-colonial Africa. That's like 500 years ago. Yeah, like, that's yeah, that's, that's we, that. we've moved on. Like things times have changed. Like we don't need to. There's no. It wasn't perfect in Africa before. Um and it was it was a long time ago so when we're thinking about where we go forward it has to be what do we do forward right like what does the african unity look like in the future and actually some of the things and this is where you have some of the tensions so tribe which is probably more like nation or ethnicity um is definitely something which is overplayed by the west like massively it's a way to to they racialize the differences and they made it mm. like you know pit people against each other and if you look at like rwanda and that Genocide. That's a colonial production. Yeah, right? those categories were created. Yeah, yeah completely. I mean, I mean, so the categories exist before, but they're kind of put on steroids and racialized and oh. put in material differences, right? So the Hutus get more, the, sorry, the Tutsis get more power than the Hutus, and it, it becomes biblical. And it's all, it's all kind of put on steroids. But the issue of tribe itself or nation, if you want to call it that. Um is something which is not incompatible with this kind of revolutionary pan-africanism, but it does mean something that we need to change right e- the whole unifying the whole continent means unifying the whole continent oh, so I then it, it does mean an evolution. We're not talking about saying, look there's this perfect Africa that was. maybe some elements of that, but actually what Africa looks like in the future will be very different. There's far more people, there be far more technology, et cetera yeah. et etc. so it's not there's no platform for this in the in the past.
0: I get you. It's like you want to create an ideology that is not been harvested from a pre-existing white ideology that has stitched into it uh, oppression. And I read this Native American activist, I think his name might have been Russell Mead, who said, like, there's a... Assumption by your, like, you know, that we, the Native American people, should all become Marxists, like, because, like, that would be the best tool for us. But he goes, we don't, I don't believe in that. He goes, for me, he says, capitalism and communism are opposite sides of the same coin. Both assume the earth to be resources. Both assume economic solutions. Both assume post-industrial or industrialization. And, like, he, then, like, the rest of his... Uh, speech was about essentially a kind of, what do I want to say, a pantheonism of kind of a love of earth and a love of nature and a, a kind of a harmonic idea of man as part of nature. Like, so you say, like, you know, whilst you particularly are allied you know, and from ultimately Africa, like you uh, don't see it as uh, uh impossible that there would be an allegiance between let's like, say L- native uh, american people latin and south america you know, there's no such thing as latin america is it that's a you're a colonial <laughs> product in itself yeah. but like uh, but like you know that there is an elite a natural allegiance here so then in a sense what i feel like is that that eventually like i feel like the colonization in terms of the sort of s- the stealing of labor and slavery It only happens. It's like right, we've run out of serfs and peasants and white people to fuck (laughs) over. Let's go go and get some new ones, you know. Or like now, these ones are organising, collectivising, and starting to demand rights. So at Genesis, I feel like uh, that um, white people have the same ultimate problems perhaps not within a system are you, you know you're pretty because there are advantages that I have as a white person in this particular system that you don't have but like uh Ut- it, it, from a utopian perspective and why would we have another one like, the, uh, uh, <laughs> like uh, we, we have the same aim we have the same aim to dismantle existing power structures and to bring power as close to the people that are affected by it as possible to democratise power to for people to be self-determining and if that you say no I want that to be my blackness to be part of that it's like oh yeah alright cool <laughs> like, like, uh, we, we want our like, uh,
1: Celticness to be part of it alright cool our Arabness <laughs> fine (laughs) but the problem the the problem is that this is um, a problem for us now we're here as well is that actually if you look at the oppression that has been meted out to those who are black and brown outside of Europe it is of a completely different order it's genocide. It's slavery. It's death on a scale which they didn't do this. They didn't they didn't they didn't genocide. They didn't go into the, the mill towns and just kill people or enslaved The people. Irish feel that they mean, get the that. Irish got it, the Irish got it pretty bad for a bit and then became white, right? And now the the Irish But if you actually look at the things, where the worst oppression has always been, even with the Irish, the worst oppression was resolved, was reserved for people outside of Europe always. And what capitalism, what the West is, if if you like, it's a it's a system which is taking his wealth and his, and his massive abundance of wealth, uh, taking it into Europe and the West, and what, we have, what we're basically having discussion on the left and the right is how do we share up those... How do we share those spoils better, right? So social democracy is, well, you know, let's equalize it out. Tax the rich. Let's, let's make it better for others. But it does never comes to the issue of, actually, where do we get this wealth? In the first place. And that's a different level of question.
0: Yes, it is. It's a hard level of question because you know that, say, Jeremy Corbyn, you know that he ain't happy being part of that Queen's Privy Council and turning up to those things. He ain't going to say, get rid of the monarchy. No one, <laughs> no one wants to do that.
1: No. no, the best you're going to get from Corbyn is, so more taxes, which is good. I don't think you shouldn't, but that doesn't deal with the problem of global inequality. Look at Labour's... Labour on international development is basically the same as the Tories.
0: Once we have an entrenched identity as a nation, then people won't care about global inequality. We find it hard to see that far. So you're saying that this idea of a global black identity or black unity has built into it post-nationalist identity, post-colonial... Like It's like, yeah. look at yourself as the nation that you grew up in you are this you are your blackness you are
1: your heritage that's what it's always been to quote Malcolm again we've actually been I've been speaking a long time and I haven't quoted him too much so I'm I'm proud It's come up three times (laughs) Okay, I've got (laughs) a Malcolm exometer (laughs) here it's actually a drinking game if you hear me speaking when I mention Malcolm drink it's usually a bad
0: (laughs) I don't think he'd like that (laughs) you better be drinking a non-alcoholic drink
1: (laughs) but uh, what do you say you're not an American you're an African in America right that's a fundamental principle of black
0: But don't you think, though in a sense I think you're picking up the argument at a certain point don't you think that like I could say well I ain't bloody English either because like you know I am some essential piece of consciousness temporarily inhabiting a material body <laughs> and my allegiance is to love and togetherness and the freedom of all people okay within, <laughs> within Britain
1: right <laughs> I like it you won't
0: know this necessarily listening but I indeed sort of participated in a TV pilot I've done once like because it was a limited amount of time like TV programmes. Are I kept turning to Hindi for like simple conclusions so look so doesn't this mean that Muslims and uh, working class can all get along as well and kinda goes no I don't think it means that <laughs> like, oh, come on we've got to go to a break <laughs> say something yeah. upbeat about how everyone's going to get on fine no we're not no uh, we're not going to no. get on fine it's going to no. be difficult
1: it's possible but I I, I do think there's a um, there's an issue well, actually one of my issues with the black British thing there's a whole if you look at the last year and a half, there's two years, there's been a big push on, you know, being black and British. Is and Yeah, on the TV, BBC have done TV stuff about it. They're even publishing black books about it. Like, Is that can... a reaction to Windrush's staff or what's going on? I think it's even before then. I think there's, I think one of the, one of the responses, and I'm not saying this is like a puppet master makes these responses, but one of the kind of organic responses when you have protests so Black Lives Matter emerges and there's kind of this, idea that things aren't okay again mm. one of the always responses is to kind of incorporate people right Incorporate right. and i think this black britishness is one of those incorporation projects and again i know a lot of people call themselves black british and i understand it so i'm not saying it's a bad thing but i'm saying we have to caution obey because what what is that saying when you say that right there is this argument very clearly look that when you take ignore the nation state for example because the nation state prevents how we understand britain so my dad for example and my grandmother only come only been in britain for like a few decades but my family was all in, in jamaica which was part of britain up until very recently so actually everything that happened in jamaica was in britain so when this idea that i'm supposed to be thankful to white british people for the war effort well, all my family black and white have been in the war effort mm-hmm. all my family for generations have been supporting britain equally important to britain's development is anything that happened on this island so there is this argument to so say yeah i'm more british than you right because we've all been part of the, the empire But I'm not sure where that gets you politically, right? Um, Mm. I can say I built a slave plantation. Does that mean I want to be the master? Like, Britain doesn't work for us. Britain has always oppressed us, always. And actually, Windrush just shows you how it's always oppressed us. And so I think part of what we need to to be critical about is why are we claiming to be part of something which is anti-ourselves?
0: Why would anybody, though? Why would anybody, except for those that are benefiting most, which could include me now. I'm definitely part of an economic elite nowadays. But like... uh, why would anybody claim adherence to it? Like a system that is ultimately tyrannizing. And whilst I can't claim that my ancestors were taken from their homeland, exploited, killed, etc., I feel that the same, the the comparable arguments. We're talking about degree as opposed to essence. Yeah. It like, I suppose what I, I guess what I suppose like when I'm talking with you what i am trying to achieve is alliance alliance of a common human experience but given that your essential message is that there is a thing that is called blackness that is distinct that means it's hard and that but that but in a way like like the lgbtq movement itself is like you know that has had a great deal of success it like requires the embrace of a separateness and similarly though as uh, like you know once incorporated and celebrated as part of the mainstream is somewhat diffused
1: but i mean mm. i think i'm not against alliances alliances are important i think definitely if you look at Latin America is not Latin America, um, Asia, although it, there's lots of many people who suffer from the victims of racism. It's not just black people. Um, and even if you look at some of the people like uh, Franz Fanon, Claudia Jones, the mar- black Marxists have always kind of said, the poor working white, working-class whites, they're part of our project. Um, I think the difference is that so there's a, there's a book, Fanon writes "The Wretched of the Earth," and he talks about the, the white working class as the sleeping beauty of history. When will they wake up and join the revolution? what i'm arguing is that we can't wait for you to wake up we need to do what needs to be done and i don't believe that those alliances will be formed until they have to be formed i think that's when you're going to get the true alliance Hmm. yeah through necessity to um
0: localize and simplify possibly this conversation a little what do you think about um raheem sterling have you looked at that
1: um yeah i mean it's good that somebody a sports star, Black British sports stars has spoken out because that does not happen, particularly when they're like famous, um, and at the time. So maybe you get a couple mm. of people saying stuff like when they're retired. In fact, one of the things that strikes me about about Britishness is it's actually harder to talk about race here than it is in America. So in America, you've got the the anthem protests, you've got all these sports stars saying this this racist against Trump, etc. And in Britain, you've got basically nothing like Raheem Sterling. That's about it, right? Uh, because in many ways, Britain, even though it seems like America has, it'll be hard in America because, you know, they always have the anthem and they always have the flag and it's all like, that's because their country's so young, there's kind of like a mechanical solidarity. They just kind of like, it's enforced, it's imposed. It's not yeah. really that certain. Whereas here, you don't need the anthem, you don't need the flag, but it's so embedded in this, in this you just don't do it. I, I think I commend Raheem massively because it's just not something that people do. It's almost career suicide. What I like
0: as well is that he didn't stop at the point of saying that's out of order. What them Chelsea fans said, he went as far as to say it is. This is pre- sanctioned by the way that the media report. Yeah on black footballers as opposed to white footballers and provided an example. Oh, I would like to know that's a pretty good bit of critical yeah. theory that he presented there and media analysis. Also though what occurs is that I think he's been signed by Nike subsequent <laughs> to that. So that like, that energy
1: is going to go into people going to buy those shoes where were they made who made them exactly this reinforces the problem right but it's better than nothing just because it's radical it doesn't mean it's bad not radical because it's not radical doesn't mean it's a bad idea right well,
0: that's wicked. Thanks, Kahindi. Thanks for your time. We've been talking for 75 minutes. It's not as long as I talked to uh, Candice Owens, but frankly, you're not as beautiful as <laughs> 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 you yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, was uh, What an amazing person. It's, it's really lovely to talk to you. I always feel educated and I always feel that you bring to mind ideas that are, whilst political as opposed to spiritual, have a similar quality in that there is something difficult to grasp because they are outside the framework of permitted discourse so that is most valuable thank thank you you well Well, that was Kahindi Andrews I hope you got a lot from that I hope if Candice Owens if you are listening I I on a personal level level, love everybody and feel great warmth and uh, compassion for people and if we can't be tolerant of people we don't agree with then what does our tolerance really amount to uh, next week we have uh, Catherine Graves on uh, she will be talking to you about the politics philosophy and reality of childbirth is it a medicalized or holistic process in the meantime why do to listen to some previous o- uh, episodes you could listen to Candice Owens you could listen to what Kahindi was commenting on you could listen to Blind Boy he goes on about mental health he's proper funny too Yuval Noah Harari who doesn't enjoy saying that you Noah Harari. Dear Khan, my God, that was another amazing episode. Also, please subscribe to this podcast, share it, get it out there, get it out there into the world. Tell other people to listen, go up to them, place your head upon their shoulder and just whisper ever so gently, listen to Under the Scheme of Russell Brand. Also, have a look at my Netflix special, Rebirth, if you haven't watched it yet, and uh, let me know what you think of it on social media. I'm glad to stay in constant communication with you. Also, you should know that we are supporting the mix a uh, organization that helps young people with well, mental health but all issues really and if you are a young person you want to get in touch uh have a look at uh, the uk, and uh, they'll be very very helpful to you i'll tell you that take it easy that was under the skin happy christmas and that bye